You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my good friend, Gil Martin. My name is JJ Leahy. Gil's a writer for SportsDaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Guiding you through the offseason from OTAs to training camp, we've got you covered. If you have a question you'd like us to answer for you on the show, hit us up on Twitter at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers. Or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Gil, welcome to episode 40 of No Huddle. We're closing in on one year of recording a podcast every single Thursday afternoon together. They get published on Friday, but we have not missed a single week yet. Yeah, we've been pretty good. I'm I'm, I'm impressed. I am too. Hey, we got to talk about uh, the Twitter poll results from last week. We had our... Big debate, uh, which veteran player might lose their job this season? You argued Preston Smith. I said Hunter Bradley. Once again, I stomped you. 65% of people agreed with me, Hunter Bradley, so I won. We're going to have a brand new uh, Twitter debate coming up at the end of the show here. We're going to be de- debating throwback uniforms for the Packers because there's a new one coming this year. But first, we're going to hop into the main meat of the episode, and that is... Joe Barry's defense. Now, we already covered this a little bit earlier on in the offseason, but now we have a little bit more information uh, out of training camp, or I should say uh, mandatory minicamp and the voluntary OTAs. And uh, Barry's had a chance to come in and meet some of the guys, start uh, plugging them in at different positions and see what he thinks. And we have just better context. So we're going to um, dive into what exactly we can expect this Packers defense to look like this year under Joe Barry. And one question that I have, and we'll try and answer this, is do we think there's going to be a step backwards initially for the defensive players as they get used to the new scheme? I think there will be. I, I don't think it'll be a significant step back. I think one of the reasons that the Packers hired Joe Barry is that while his defenses are not identical to Mike Pettin's, there are a lot of similarities. So Mm -hmm. I think it will take less time than the typical new defensive coordinator, but I think there will be a little bit of an adjustment period and it wouldn't surprise me if there's a, a little bit of regression, let's say in August and September before this team starts to find its groove defensively. Yeah, I know that uh, Barry was talking about the efforts that his staff, who, by the way, is all the same staff that Mike Pettin had. Joe Barry is the only new coach on the defense. Actually, I think he's the only new coach, period, on the whole team. But uh, no special he was teams. talking. Ah, that's right. That's right. Mo Drayton. Oh, man, I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> so he was talking about the efforts that they have gone to to make the uh, terminology as similar as possible to last year without, I mean, there is an element of you have to update terminology so that opposing offenses don't know what you're doing. Right. Uh, but here, here's a, just a quick quote from a press conference 
that uh, Joe Barry had. He said, terminology is the biggest thing. There are things that we're going to do that they did last year, but maybe they called it oranges last year, and we're going to call it apples this year. It's about getting those things translated. And then there's some things that they've never done before that are brand new. We've got to teach it to them. So uh, Kenny Clark and Adrian Amos both commented on that, and they said that there that it has been an easier process because there has been some good similarity in the terminology. And also, you know, they all have the same position coaches and the coaches all study their butts off uh, in the off season, getting to understand this new defense. And so those coaches are really helping and it's, it's just a, a good situation because of all those pre-existing relationships with their position coaches that they trust. Yeah, that'll help ease the transition. No question. And like I said, I don't think this will be as difficult of a transition as maybe typically, but there will be still a little bit of an adjustment period, just like any other new thing. I would really expect the first half maybe of the season to be a bit rocky on on defense. I think the offense is going to have to win it for them quite a few weeks in the first half of the season. And I could see the defense catching up uh, maybe around like week nine or so. Yeah, the only concern I have about that is if we have a new quarterback, does that mean that both the offense and the defense will be starting with uh, a little bit of a disadvantage early on in the season? And how does that affect the team? Absolutely. And that is why having all of these seasoned veterans along the offense, the defense, um, uh, and uh, all the same position coaches, it's going to be a big deal. Uh, we do have two new coordinators, but Nathaniel Hackett is still there running the offense. And it's also not like Jordan Love wasn't around last year. So he does have relationships with the coaches. Um, but you are, you know, you are going to be leaning on guys like Bakhtiari and Devante and Tunyon and Mercedes a lot and Billy Turner. Um, on offense and on defense for those veterans that uh, are really going to be a, a big voice in um, getting the consistency there and getting everybody on the same page. Zadarius is going to be a big deal. Adrian Amos, massive. Kenny Clark, I think even Preston Smith, these are guys that are really well respected. And then uh, it sounds like uh, Jair is starting to come along a bit in terms of, you know, he's not so much the young buck anymore. And uh, definitely a lot of the DBs are really uh, listening when he speaks up. So having those vets and uh, all you know that stability with all the position coaches, that's going to be huge for the whole team, I think. Absolutely. And, and it's going to be important that, you know, the leaders help ease this transition to the new defensive coordinator and and make it a little bit easier for the younger players and, and just help with sort of leadership and continuity. So let's start by talking about the DBs a little bit because uh, we have some notes about safeties and one note about um, the star position. I was going to just say cornerbacks, but it really is. It's a different position. The star, it's a uh, nickel defender. But looking at the safeties, uh, a difference with Barry's defense is there's probably going to be more situations where you need uh, three safeties on the field. And so there is that question of who would be that third safety. Uh, the most senior guy in the room, obviously, is Will Redmond. But I do like what we've seen out of uh, Vernon Scott 
and then uh, also to an extent Henry Black. And you got two new additions to the safety room, Ennis Gaines and Christian Uphoff. We just don't know anything about them. Can't imagine they're going to be very high up the depth chart because they are new to the safety room. Yeah, and you know, I always have mixed feelings about Redmond. I like him on special teams. He's very good. But in pass coverage, he's very inconsistent. And I don't know if he really ever will take that next step in pass coverage and become more consistent for the Packers. So if they're going three safety, I don't know if he's the answer. But it's also like, who else would they go with instead? You know? Right. And, and, and the position that you would say there's the most crossover is linebackers. And that's like the weakest position on the Packers roster right now. The inside linebackers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now the Rams did have a tendency to use two deep safeties and then spin into single high just before the snap. Mm-hmm. We've seen in minicamp, we've seen um, Adrian Amos used pretty heavily in the box. So I think that that is probably something we're going to see translate. Yeah, I think it is as well. And and I think the Packers can do some good things with it. I mean, one of the things I really liked late in the season last year was the play of the safeties picked up in, let's say, the last six Uh to eight games. And, you know, if they could keep getting that level of safety play under the new Joe Barry regime, this team can be very, very, very good in the secondary. Yeah, I think over the last uh, six weeks of the season, I think you're right, over the last six weeks of the season, I think Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage were the number one and number two highest-graded safeties in football. Yep. Um, and there is definitely some crossover between the safeties and linebackers in L.A., although they got some good production out of their linebackers. And Joe Barry, of course, was the linebackers coach. Uh, the front office, just like the Packers front office, never prioritized linebacker. They would uh, use their top 100 picks on safeties, the Taylor Rapp and John Johnson. Um both developed into really big factors in the defense and those safeties ended up, you know, those are, those are bigger guys. And, and depending on um, what the play was, they were often used more like linebackers. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have a, like we said, we don't have a ton of depth in the safety room, but I think, I think even when you're looking at like your number three and number four safeties for the Packers, you're looking at a higher talent level than even your number two, one and two linebackers. Wow. Uh, you know, that might be true. Well, I don't know. The, the The safety depth concerns me after the top two. I think the top two, the Packers can match up with anybody. But, you know, there's a lot of talent in the bottom, you know, in, in the depth area of the safety position, but not a lot of it proven at the NHL level. So, uh, NFL level. <laughs> whoops, sorry about that. Yeah, no, the uh, not a lot proven at the NFL level at this point. Uh, you know, I like what these guys have the ability to do on paper, but they still haven't proven it on the football field. Let's talk about linebackers for a second, because there's a, a an assumption that I think we were making about the linebackers based on what we saw last year that I'm not really sure holds up. And that is Chris Barnes as linebacker number one. And the reason I say that is because out of all of the line inside linebackers that we have, one guy, Chris Barnes, 
really stands out as lacking in athleticism. And I don't think that was a big issue last year. But under the more Tampa 2 style of defense, uh, you know, in, in that Vic Fangio school of thought that Joe Barry is expected to run, you really need athletic, I mean, we're talking hyper-athletic linebackers in order for it to be successful. Yeah. You put a guy like Chris Barnes on the field, and he's going to struggle getting sideline to sideline, and that leaves the Packers' defense very susceptible to outside zone runs, which is something we should be very familiar with (laughs) because the Packers themselves run a lot of that on offense, and it is lethal. Yeah, and look, it's been a problem that the Packers have had a lack of elite speed at inside linebacker for quite some time. Uh, It was one of the things that they criticized Blake Martinez for when he was here. And realistically, the reason Chris Barnes wasn't drafted is because of his lack of measurable Uh speed. 100%. And it, it really becomes a question of, you know, is he a good fit? in this defense and it's something that he's going to have to prove in training camp if he wants to hold on to that job now Kamal Martin is he going to stay healthy uh and how quickly can he adapt uh you know to me I think they made that free agent signing uh a couple of weeks ago for a reason and I, I expect uh-huh. that Campbell will start yeah so let's talk about that for a second I think that so you saw in voluntary OTAs and the beginning of minicamp, Chris Barnes was getting the looks at linebacker number one because uh, the coaches were talking specifically about Kirk Olvidati. Trust him because they know that from an intellectual standpoint, he's going to get the job done. He knows what needs to be done. He consistently makes the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you saw Ty Summers as inside linebacker number two. Uh, Kamal Martin for all of his athleticism and for all of the um, speed and violence that he plays with uh, from a mental standpoint, he's just not developed enough yet. Uh, that's something he needs to keep working on, but let me go through some of these 40 times. All right. So uh, Isaiah McDuffie were drafted this year. He ran a four, five, eight. Ty Summers ran a four, five, one. Oren Burks officially ran a 4.59. However, he has run a f- unofficial 40s of faster than that. Right. Now, Kamal Martin did not run a 40 at the combine. He was coming off of a surgery at that point. However, Packers scout Brandian Ross said that the Packers, the numbers, I'll just read his quote. He says the Packers have him as a high four, five, low four, six guy. Um, so Chris, Bar- uh, before I get to Chris Barnes, new addition, Devonder Campbell runs a four, five, eight. So these guys are all within like just a couple tenths of a second of each other, or sorry, a couple one hundredths of a second from each other. And then you got Chris Barnes, who the best one he's ever run is a four, seven, nine. However, mm. I also have him at a four, eight, two. Mm-hmm. He's, substantially slower than anybody else that we have in that room. And I think you, I think that you look at the fact that he was getting those number one looks in practice for a while. And then they brought in Devondre Campbell. It's related. I think that uh, Joe Barry, who is a former linebackers coach and really knows linebackers. Remember he, you remember Corey Littleton, uh, who was a, a big name free agent, 
year a year and a half ago and ended up signing with the Raiders. He was pretty bad once he went to the Raiders, but when he was with the Rams, he yeah. was elite. Yeah. And then the guys that uh, Joe Barry coached up uh, uh, last year in L.A., you're not looking at guys with much talent, but he's still got some great production out of them. So this is a guy who knows linebackers, and he he went and talked to uh, LaFleur clearly and said, hey, I need you to have, uh, have the front office bring us in some more talent because – I'm not going to be able to execute with the guys that we have here. Yeah. And I think they made a good choice. I I like what Campbell will bring to the table. He's got experience. He's been a starter since his rookie year. He adds a little bit of range and a little bit of speed. And I think he can, uh, he definitely upgraded the experience and talent level in that linebacking core, which was the weakest link, I think on the roster before his Mm -hmm. signing and while you know he didn't come dirt cheap, he didn't break the bank either, and I think that's a big help for this team. Yeah, Bill Huber wrote an excellent article after talking to some NFL scouts about Devondre Campbell, and one of the things that one of the scouts brought up is that uh, Campbell's PFF grades were pretty terrible. They yep. were, they were, her- they were horrific. And something that one of the scouts pointed out is that, yeah. Those those grades are not good, but P, but with him specifically, PFF was not taking into account some of the uh, situational. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, some of that extra context. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Okay. So so he said, uh, you know, he points out Campbell's athleticism and length, and how Atlanta and Arizona both put him in a lot tougher matchups than you would typically put a linebacker. They're putting him on, you know, some of these top wide receivers. And if you're expecting a linebacker to perform well in a situation like that, well, it's just not going to happen. They're not built for that. Right. But, uh, but Campbell was built in a way that when they needed to, they felt like they could do that. And the, and he was pretty consistently used in situations where he's being kind of outmatched. Here's a quote from the scout. He said, I could really see him being your three down linebacker. His length really can make things difficult on quarterbacks and he tackles well too. So even when he does give up a catch, he usually limits the damage. Um, and uh, I, I got to tell you, after reading this whole article, again, this is Bill Huber on Sports Illustrated. Go ahead and, and check out the article for yourself. It's the title is Scouts Like Edition of Campbell. I think it's a great read. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, and, and he was drafted in the fourth round, I believe. So uh, he's always been a guy who had more value. You look at all the other linebackers we have. Well, Chris Barnes is undrafted. Kamal Martin is a fifth round pick. Ty Summers is a seventh round pick. Isaiah McDuffie's a sixth round pick. Oren Burks, of course, was a third round pick, but we're all very familiar with him. Yeah, I will say Burks is kind of one of those guys that if he could get it together, oh yeah, athlete athletically, he's our best option, and it's not even close. But the light hasn't yet to come on, unfortunately. Longtime listeners listeners of this show are very well acquainted with how we feel about Oren Burks. <laughs> Did I tell you Oren Burks um, after one game where I was uh, critiquing his performance on special teams? He blocked me on Twitter, and and my thoughts on it were, you know, I just wish you could block as well on special teams as you block on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we have a linebacker issue because uh, 
the linebackers in this kind of defense are definitely much more involved on the edges uh, in the, in the, the stopping sealing off the edge for those outside runs. That's a big thing. And a part, a big piece that goes along with that is that your defensive line is a lot more unprotect unprotected. You, you frequently have all the linebackers being dropped into coverage. Um, a former player who played under Joe Barry back in, um, uh, I think it was Washington, said, you know, in, in Barry's perfect world, he would like to rush four and drop seven every single time. Mm-hmm. Now, our D-line has had its struggles over the last two years, and uh, they're going to have a little bit less help now because those linebackers are going to be expected to be a bigger part of the passing game in coverage rather than coming in on all those uh, those blitzes that Mike Pettin like to use. Yeah, and I think, you know, in some ways I think that will help. In other ways, the priority of the pass rush, you know, it's it'll be tougher if you're not getting as much edge rush from those outside linebackers. Yeah, and Joe Barry, we're not going to say he doesn't blitz, but he blitzes differently than Mike Pettin. Uh Barry typically likes to just do a five-man rush, whereas um, you y- you don't see so much of like the double A gap blitzes and those overload blitzes. You t- you tend to just see you know one other linebacker or safety. I would say more often a safety being brought in on the pass rush. Um, it, he he really strongly depends on the that front four getting pressure, and we've seen. Other teams that have a similar philosophy, uh, San Francisco, uh, the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, can be extremely effective when they're getting that the pressure with the front four. That has kind of been the Achilles heel for the Packers, in fact, over the last few years, is when teams are able to get pressure with their front four. That's like it. <laughs> that's when yeah. you see those blowout games from like the Buccaneers, the 49ers. And like I mentioned, the, the Chargers in 2019, those all came when all the pressure was being generated by the front four and you didn't need to bring uh, anybody else in on the blitz. Yeah. And it, it created all kinds of problems. And, and you will also notice in a number of those games, you know, for example, the Buccaneers games, uh, in fact, both games against Tampa, David Bakhtiari didn't play the whole game. The offensive line was a little banged up, playing people out of position, and that made it even more difficult to overcome teams with a solid pass rush. Yeah. Now, another position to consider, and this kind of plays into the uh, three-safety look we were talking about, is that star defender. Um, Chandon Sullivan as far as we are hearing, seems to really have locked up that star role in the coach's eyes. We'll see if things change throughout the rest of the preseason. But right now, Shannon Sullivan is option number one there. And uh, that might you might see more looks where you have Shannon coming in and playing that star defender and then just two safeties on the field um, at the same time. And safety, by the way, is an interesting one because they get such a an incredibly high snap count you look at across the entire team, uh, you know, who gets the highest percentage of the snaps. Well, obviously you expect quarterback to be way up there on all the snaps taken on offense uh, and then right up there with them. In fact, usually even more than the quarterback, you'll see uh, barring injury, your center will be the, the guy who plays the most snaps on offense. 
Well, on defense, that's the safeties. They play just about the exact same number of uh, available snaps, like, you know, 98% or higher. Right. Those safeties are out there all the time. So Adrian Amos and uh, Darnell Savage are certainly going to be playing a lot. I, I think I'm still taking probably Will Redmond as safety number three, but Vernon Scott, I think, is like right there ready to take over for Redmond. Yeah, and I think the coaching staff would like to see that. The question is when it will happen. And uh, he did play really well last year, but he didn't play a lot. And his run defense was a little bit suspect, I think. Mm-hmm. Correct. And again, you know, you get a situation where you you may be making a lot of situational substitutions. So he may not be out there very often in obvious running situations. Yeah, and th- in those situations, you're going to see uh, probably Shannon Sullivan coming on, you know, as that star defender, because that is a major component of the star's role is uh, helping in fitting with those run fits. Yeah. And, you know, for Sullivan, this is a big opportunity because his career is really at a crossroads. You look at what he did in 2019 as the dime back. He had an outstanding statistical season last year, moved up to the nickel back and, I wouldn't say he had a bad season, but he wasn't as effective as he was in 2019. Now, he's still young. He's still learning the NFL game, and and I think he's got the talent and certainly the intelligence to handle the star position. It just becomes a question of him being able to play more consistently and, you know, take that next jump forward in his career. Now, something we have to talk about, again, we've covered it on this show before, but maybe you didn't listen to that episode. But uh, the idea that this defense is is going to get a lot more zone heavy, uh, we're not really sure that that's actually going to hold true because we got some better um, statistics that showed that Mike Pettin's defense was far more zone heavy than we had previously thought. The common uh, perception of Mike Pettin's defense was that it was very man heavy. It wasn't, it was the, I think the second heaviest zone scheme in the league. And I believe only the Rams ran more zone than the Packers did. So I, is it possible that we'll get more zone heavy? It could be. I think it's more likely that it either stays the same or gets a little bit more man heavy. But although you will, you could certainly see those um, those situations where your CB1, Jair, is over there running man against the top wide receiver and everybody else is in, jo- is in zone. Yeah, and that's what I was about to, to bring up. I think we're going to see that in a lot of situations where you have a combination of man in zone with Jair playing man against maybe the top receiver on the opposition and then everyone else is in some kind of zone. And mixing up those zones is a key component. Disguising those coverages at the snap of the ball is something that Joe Barry is always going to want to do. All right. I think we've covered the defense pretty well. Let's take a look at the Packers uh, throw, alternate throwback uniforms because Mark Murphy was the guy who confirmed in his Murphy Takes Five column He said, uh, after taking a year off last year from wearing alternate uniforms, we will wear a historic third uniform at one home game this season. While we're not ready to fully introduce the uniforms, I can say they'll include a shade of the color green. So that combined with some news we got today that is not going to have a huge impact, but is still interesting. The NFL 
did today confirm that they are going to allow teams to have an alternate helmet. Previously, they had the one helmet rule, and that uh, was true no matter what uh, throwback uniform you were wearing. Well, starting next year, not this year, teams will be allowed to have an alternate helmet for those alternate uniforms. In 2021, however, they're going to have to stick with the same helmet that they have, but we are going to have a new uniform. And so we decided to go back and look at all of the previous uniforms the Packers have ever worn. And we obviously took out all the ones that don't include any shades of green. And we're going to try and make our best prediction about which uniform the Packers are going to unveil. And we'll see in hopefully a few weeks or or maybe closer to the start of the year, which uniform they're going to unveil. So go ahead and uh, tell us which year you think the Packers are going to go with and describe what it looks like. Uh, I, I looked at these and I'm looking at the 1935 jerseys. It's uh, a green chest area with uh, yellow numbers and yellow sleeves. So uh, keeps the color scheme relatively the same but I think it looks different enough that the team would uh, include it as a throwback. They haven't used it as a throwback yet. And it would just be a, a, a different look for the Packers that would still be recognizable, but would be distinct. I like it. And by the way, we are going to, in our Twitter poll that we want you guys to vote in, we're going to include photos of what these uniforms that we're pitching look like. So I, I was really torn because there was a couple different ones that I really liked. But I got to remember, this isn't which one do I want them to use. It's which one do I think they'll use. And although I really think the all gold jersey that they introduced in 1952 looks really cool. But I think that just might be a little too wild and crazy for the present day Packers. So I think I'm going to have to take probably the 1950 jerseys. All right. This is a more of a Kelly green, not quite so much the dark green that the Packers use now. And it's got gold stripes on the arms. And I think it just looks really clean. And I've even seen some Photoshop mock-ups of what it would look like with the uh, short sleeves that the uh, players in the NFL rock today. It looks really good. I think this would be a fun one. So 1950 is my official answer. But if they went 1952 and gave us those big, beautiful, all-gold jerseys, ah, I'd be okay with that, too. All right. Should be interesting. I'm looking forward to the announcement. And I'm also looking forward to hearing uh, what our listeners feel about this. All right. And again, we are going to post pictures of these two so you can take a look and, and compare. And that's going to be over on Twitter. Head over to Twitter.com and check us out at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers. Both of us are going to pin a poll to the top of our profiles. We want you to vote uh, which one you think is more likely. And we'll we'll check in next week and see which one you guys agree with. And then whenever they do announce it, we will see if either of us got it right. But that does it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter. Again, that is at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy. To stay up to date on all things Packers or to submit questions, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Dot com.